this is persisting in color. Welcome. I'm uh I'm Niara. Deb. And um we had been asked a couple weeks ago about our origin story and figured since we're out here trying to create a community, it would probably be a good idea to to cover it. So thanks to that suggestion from a listener. Thank you, listener. Because you can't you can't again. You can't talk about work without talking about your personal experiences. Yes, for sure. Um, so do you want to start or should I? I can definitely start. Where should cool. I begin? Okay. I think that I can best start at obviously where I what where I came from, and that's obviously our parents and the people who, you know, raised us. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have, you know, both my parents in my life. Um, they're both Korean immigrants who came here um, from Korea back in the 1980s. Um, and they settled and, you know, they struggled. You know, immigrants having to come here from another country, having no idea what the language is, having no sense of community at all and trying to um, figure out life again as adults. Um, you know, I grew up not realizing just how hard it must have been for them. My mom came here first and she definitely hustled her way into going to beauty school and trying to become a flight attendant. That didn't turn out as well. Um, and having to force herself to learn a language that she had not known for you know the 20 plus years she had lived in her life for. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm never gonna be able to like fully understand how the immigrant story works because I was never put in that position. But, you know, my mom came here knowing that, you know, the eventual life she would have and the eventual kids she would have, um, she'd be creating a better life for them. Um, and so that's something that, you know, now I look back on and I realize just speaking on, you know, behalf of all immigrants and all children of immigrants, it's, it's a story that, you know, has to be told, you know, and has, you know, has to have the immigrant um, story come first. And so my story is really my parents' story. My dad, same thing. He, you know, he went to university, he had an art degree, and yet he came here and none of that mattered. And he ended up like as his first job serving at a local Korean restaurant. And so again, like they both struggled, and they both hustled, um, but they both made a life for themselves. And um, obviously, I came into the picture. Um, I grew up speaking Korean and English. Um, it was also like a cultural conflict for me growing up because, you know, was I Korean? Was I English? Sorry, was I American? Um, and in fact, I was Korean American and I grew up in a school where, you know, I grew up in a predominantly immigrant neighborhood. Everybody in my class were all people, children of color, except for our teachers. Our teachers were the only people who were white. Um, and I grew up thinking that, you know, we lived in a world that was incredibly diverse. Um, little did I know, it, my zip code was the most, most diverse zip code in the entire country. And so it wasn't a, the best representation of what our country is. Yeah. Um, was. Um, but I was very fortunate enough to, to be able to have such diversity around me. Um, mm -hmm. and to grow up just knowing that people come from different backgrounds and to know that we all came from people who understood the struggle. Um, and so, you know, that really speaks to my Korean American identity and in, in growing yeah. up as an Asian American. 
obviously also growing up as an Asian American, there is that whole, you know, East Asian aspect of, of the culture that um, revolves around, uh, you know, being of Korean descent. And it's, it's you know, I, I mentioned in, 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 a, in our first podcast, but you are raised as a Korean to be kind of this, you know, this quiet, this humble person, especially if you're born a girl, kind of raised to be, you know, kind of in the shadows of a, of a man. And that was very apparent in my uh, family background going growing up, you know, even though clearly my mom was the one that took care of all the finances, she um, drove me and my brother to school, she would wake up every morning, go to church, come back, cook, uh, wow. school, go to work all day only to come home and cook again. And so, um, you know, she was the epitome of strength. And yet, the way that our culture goes, and the way that Korean culture goes, women are just not considered first-class citizens. I don't even think I can say that in the present day, even if you go to Korea. And so, um, you know, that dichotomy of growing up in that culture, but then also the American culture of you can do whatever you want. And, you know, the American culture of, hey, like you can speak up for yourself at the same time, growing up in a culture where even women at that time were still not treated as well as men. Um, And so I think I did definitely had so much going on. Experiences are so layered and intersectionality is so layered. And so, you know, the way that we're talking about our origin stories, you kind of have to go everywhere because you yeah. talk about one thing, you're like, oh, this part of my life is affected, but then also that part because, oh, because of, and so um, I will say that there were, there are so many um, layers to my story, but growing up green American is definitely one of those layers I have to say that as I grew up and as I you know went into my formative years of like schooling and high school and and college um, I then started to realize just because you are from a certain background or from a certain um racial background certain um you know ethnic background it doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden place a hundred percent of your identity in that Um, and so in college I definitely realized that hey I may be Asian American and I might have grown up in this household where I was socialized to be a certain way um or I grew up in a neighborhood that you know had only a certain type of experiences it doesn't mean that I had to limit myself to that and be in the certain bubble um and it really you know pushed me to figure out who I was and who I wanted to become mm-hmm. um and I think I really started realizing that in the workplace actually and so as I you know started getting my first internships or and started getting my first jobs it kind of forced you to figure out who you were because, you know, when you're in the workplace, your identity is not the first thing that people see. Um, hopefully, if you work mm-hmm. for the right place, um, but it's really who you are as a person and who you decide to show up to. But at the same time, I think a lot of what I struggled with was having a voice. I think. Mm-hmm one thing that I consistently struggled with um, because of my background because of the family environment I was raised in I think and so I think that 
definitely played a role in the way that I approached work at first. And that's something that I definitely had to like struggle with on a consistent, consistent basis. Well, I remember like I would always be afraid to, to raise my hand, even if I wanted to participate. Like some part of me held myself back. Part of it was po- like probably because I'm an, I was an introvert, but the other part was I was socially, you know, I was socialized to not feel like I had a voice. But yeah, I think that, that that was, you know, probably the main, main kind of thing that I struggled with on a daily basis in my formative years. Two questions that honestly, I'm surprised I haven't forgotten. One was just, you mentioned like your whole class, like was all children of, of color and was super diverse. And you specifically said, except for the teacher who is white. So my first question is just like, did you notice that as a kid or was it just like, oh, we all look different. So the teacher looks different too. And, and is there a way that you can like articulate that, uh, that affected you at that time? I think at that time, and I think I can like speak to a lot of my classmates or a lot of my friends who I've stayed in touch with. Like we just thought that the teachers were supposed to be white. Like we didn't, really I didn't really see another you know I didn't see an Asian teacher until probably high school yeah I just thought in elementary and middle school like oh we weren't allowed to be teachers because teachers are this special position that only white people could hold and like it it was not only in person but like you see movies Mm -hmm. be like you see television series and you're, you're looking at like all the teachers and all the high school musical musical-esque shows like they were all white I just thought that that was just the deal like especially the principals like there would be no such thing as a principal that you know wasn't white and so like and and that can you know speak to a lot of like things like movies like television shows like people in the media um you know there's a reason why like we listen to like Britney Spears and Hilary Duff and we idolize them because like they were like the ideal white blonde person and only white blonde people like can become famous um and so yeah I didn't realize it at the time but it's it's more of something where you look back on and you're like Mm. oh oh wow okay that's why representation is so important (laughs) yeah because I mean you you said it you said it great like you look at teachers and you're like oh only white people can be teachers only white people can be famous only white people can be on television like so then what's left for me like what can I be (laughs) uh I laugh so I don't cry theme for 2020 I believe (laughs) I laugh so I don't cry spot on um and then my second question was a little later in your story you mentioned that you only really kind of felt like you had the space to like figure out who you were outside of other people's expectations um once you got into the workforce like if you I guess have any commentary you want to make on like the effect of a having to like wait that long to make that realization and b having that time of this self-realization that a lot of people I feel like have in school and when they're among like uh peers that are that are also young and going through a similar thing like going through that in a workplace yeah I think so you know 
to say that I really started looking within myself when I started working, you know, I say that because, you know, school is, is something that you just have to do, right? Like from ages, what, like, when do you enter school? Like five to 18, when you graduate high school, um, you kind of just have to go to, you have to go to school. It's just a, it's just like a non-negotiable. It's a little thing. Like, you know, and, uh, you know, nowadays I think it's a lot, it's a lot more acceptable to kind of like drop out, but, you know, to my parents, like there was no dropping out, like, you know, right. right? And so it was just something that you have to do, especially in Asian American culture where education is so, so highly regarded. It was something that I kind of just like, always like had to ingrain myself in something I had to do um you know I wasn't the best at school I really I really didn't do well in school but at the same time it was something that I just had to do not only not because it was something that I wanted to accomplish within myself it was just you just had to yeah Uh, you know college started you know in college I started to like change that view and change that mindset but it was still like oh like in order to get a degree you have to attend class and stuff like that um and so still like at that point I I wasn't really doing things for myself um and I really didn't know what the concept was of being able to work through you know projects work through goals in order for you to feel like you truly made an impact on the world whatever that world of yours is because in college, yeah, I like, you know, it opened my mind to a lot of things. I learned a lot. But at the same time, at the end of the day, you're still just taking a class and you're passing or failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so academia, I think, is a world that, you know, really doesn't break that like freedom-esque boundary that, you know, work kind of has and where like, obviously, you know, a workplace still has that structure. But um, you have the ability to be able to question the things that you're doing. There's, there, there's an aspect about working that gives you the, the autonomy to make a choice of whether or not you're going to have to go within yourself in solving a problem or taking on an issue. Um, yeah. It's not just like a pass or fail, you know, yes, it's black and white in terms of you can either get fired or you can do your job, but within doing your job, there becomes this entire world that you can take advantage of. Um, And for that, that was really exciting for me. And so, you know, even in my first like administrative job of being like a receptionist, the fact of being a receptionist and being able to literally show up in a way where I'm catering to customer service, the way that I improve on keeping the books. Like those, those were things that I realized that I could do in order to like, contribute to a business success. Um, and so I think that working really changed my mindset of, hey, I am very capable of doing something and I am very capable of having a voice. In fact, people are literally respecting me and looking to me um, to be able to contribute to something greater. Um, and so I think like, you know, work did really change my, my mindset and work really made me not think of myself as just like this Asian girl who was shy and quiet work made me think of myself as just a 
person who had the ability to change their behavior and change their ways in making an impact to something else. But I think like, you know, some people are wired to live and breed academia. I would say I was, I was, you know, wired to work from a, and, and I think like my work ethic really comes from my mom and, and where, you know, no matter what, she would always give a hundred percent in, in her small business. And she owned a beauty, beauty salon. Um, and I would always question like why she would work so much and why she would want to be working so much. And part of it is, yes, she wanted, she needed to make money. She needed to provide for our family. But at the same time, she found a sense of fulfillment in something that she built. Like she built the small business with her hands um, and she ran it because it was her business. And she built these relationships with her customers and she had these processes going. Um, And, you know, I think that's why entrepreneurs find such a fulfillment in, owning a business and starting a business because it's your own. And so um, she was really, you know, a huge, she played a huge part in the way that I approach work and like, oh, it's fulfilling work, good work and true work that you feel like you belong in is mm-hmm. ultimately fulfilling. Um, and I, I can now say that I know what fulfilling work is and I know that, and I know what not fulfilling work is. I'm just going to stop there. So, so yeah. And mind you, I'm, this is New York city. Now we're jumping over to Philly where you're from. So I, like you said, I grew up in Philly. I started my schooling life and really my, my whole existence outside of the house at a private school. I was lucky enough and privileged enough um, to, for my parents to make that work. And I got a really good education there. I honestly give credit to that education for all of the places that I've gone in life so far, like that being the good base. Uh, but it also was majority white kids. I could count on, I would say one hand, the number of children of color that were in my class and they were really nice I hold no grudges against anyone there except for this one kid that used to bully me and I had nightmares about him but that's another story we do not we do not like bullies on this podcast we do not like bullies uh uh-uh but it was like I was a child and I recognized that I was different from everybody else but I didn't have the language to talk about systematic racism and unconscious bias. All I knew was that I felt like I had to always make sure I kept my grades up. Like I felt like that it wasn't a choice for me to not keep my grades up or not be a good student in terms of my behavior and in terms of my work. Like I can remember in fifth grade having a sick day and we went over long division that day. And at my parent teacher conference, I was sobbing because I was like I missed the day on long division and now I'm not gonna like do good and I don't know how to do it and just like spiraling which like at 10 because of a long division that's a lot (laughs) so that's a lot to go to um I also really questioned my identity there I 
like I said, no ill will towards anyone. I had really good friends. I'm still in touch with some people from there, but you know, people will call me an Oreo, which for people that don't know means black on the outside, white on the inside. And just kind of laugh about the fact that I spoke proper English and I enunciated my words like them. And because I'm an only child, so I didn't have like a sibling to kind of build that identity with, I got really confused and was like, well, I know I'm not white. Like my mom's really clear that I'm not white. I'm really, I'm regardless of the vocabulary I can put to it, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm not like the white kids in my class, but according to what they're saying, I'm also not really black. And I know I don't act like some of my cousins and I know I don't speak like some of my cousins. So what do I, where do I fall? Who am I? What, what, what? Um, I was also dealing with thoughts of being bi and trying to figure that out, which again, a story for another day, but that didn't help with the identity portion. <laughs> that definitely didn't help. <laughs> um, and then I think that the last big thing that came from attending that all white school up, up until eighth grade, so pre-K until eighth grade, um, I was just really shy. I was really shy. I was nervous coming into any kind of, any new space. And I thought that I was just a shy kid. I thought that I was just an introvert. And looking back on it, A, I have anxiety. <laughs> That's part of it. <laughs> but B, I think that I was walking into so many spaces where so few people looked like me that I was just like acutely aware of the weight that my first impression held and that kind of like paralyzed me. So after eighth grade, I moved schools to a public magnet school in Philadelphia. And that was honestly the decision of my mom, which looking back, I commend her and am so thankful that she made that decision and was so adamant about it. Like she was very adamant about it. Um, but at the time, I was still shy. I still hadn't really figured out anything about myself, which, you know, eighth grade, you really haven't regardless, but I was petrified to go to a new school. I was petrified to have to make new friends and just all of these different things. But, you know, mama, mama has the last word. So come ninth grade, I went from a private school that had I want to say somewhere around 40 to 40 ish kids in one class to this public school that had almost 700 kids in my freshman year. <laughs> Again, I say I was petrified. Culture shock. Slight. Just a, just, just a, just a tittle. Just a tad. Um, but that was also the most diverse place that I was spending like a majority of my time. Obviously you have your interactions outside of class or outside of school and my, my family is also of color, but you know, now I was spending what, eight to three, whatever time frame school is every day, seeing kids from all different backgrounds, all parts of Philly, like, and I think that that was, a, when I started 
just a hair, like a little baby step, feeling okay in my blackness and started saying, I'm, I'm black because of my heritage and I'm black because of like this rich history that is in every cell of my body, not because I talk a certain way, not because I use certain slang and like really deciding that I am going to define blackness by existing and existing to the best of my capabilities. So that was a really good part of it. I also started realizing, and I bring this up because yesterday was World Mental Health Day, so I figure I should touch on this. I also started realizing that my brain was not working like other people's. And I started realizing that I wasn't okay. And I didn't know what to do with that information. And not only did I not know what to do with that information, the colored community, like most minority groups, mental health isn't widely talked about. It's and because it's not, yeah, because it's not widely talked about, it's not widely understood. I was lucky enough not to have parents that weren't like ashamed to talk about it. They didn't think it was like some weakness, but they didn't, no one talked to them about it. So they didn't know what was going on either and you know they would take they took steps and they were like you have to go to therapy like we have to make sure you're safe which like yes very good option but then I get into therapy and a it's this little old white lady she was so sweet but like what is she connecting to me about how is she understanding my experience? I remember she had like this Hispanic husband and it felt really forced that connection that she would take make sometimes. And then I would get like, um, what is the word? I would get <laughs> evaluations um, just to see like what my options were and if meds were, were a good option for me. And I remember getting told, well, you're fine now. And I think I mentioned this in another episode, but you're fine now. So if you get into this really deep hole again for two weeks or longer, come back to us. And I think back on that moment and that verdict a lot and wonder how my life would have changed um, because I held that fact with me for seven, probably seven years after that, that when I was here enough and I had the bandwidth to be looking for that kind of help, I was fine enough that I didn't need it. And when I needed it, I was barely getting out of bed. So that was cool. Here we are, we figured it out. But um, that's enough of talking about my mental health struggles for now. Just thought that was important to, to, you know, share. I don't know. God, I'm putting a lot of stuff out on the internet about myself. It's pretty important, I think, to, to talk about mental health. Because I think, like you said, I think it's very stigmatized in minority backgrounds. And it's almost like it's never talked about because 
we're not allowed to bring it up because we already have so many other problems on our plate. Like, yeah, like we're already blocked. We're already, <laughs> we're already like, you know, dealing with so many other things that like we, we can't possibly have the time and, and the capacity to then talk about something in mental health. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's, something that we need to address because it's because of all of these layers and because we come from all of these um, the oppressed backgrounds that it's going to be the oppressed people that are going to go through the much of the mental health issues um and so i think it's 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 important for all of us to be able to like take that in consideration it's it's really important uh, yes i couldn't have said it better myself um would like to take this moment to say a i think everyone can benefit from therapy um and also i'm not saying that this is the path for everyone but if no one has told you it is okay to go on meds for your mental health it is okay if it feels right for your situation to go on meds for your mental health absolutely so i will leave that there and uh, I guess kind of transition into college. But while you were talking about kind of like you're coming into your own and like figuring out your path in, at, in, in work, at work, when you entered the workplace, it was kind of like, I won't say the opposite, but I just find like, you know, the differences in experiences so interesting. And that's why we're talking about it. Because for me, like I said, I always did well in school. I kind of felt like I had to and college was always like the next step and it it was always just like assumed in my household but my life path my profession my major that kind of stuff was always left completely up to my up to me up to myself because of that I left high school having no clue what I wanted to do to the like not even what I wanted to study. I went into school undecided. And then even when I did make pick a major, it was because the classes interested me. And I was like, we'll figure out, we'll figure this out as we go. So I was constantly kind of doing internal scans and trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted. Because I was like, I need a major. <laughs> like, I need to graduate. <laughs> uh, so I would say that was kind of where I came in into my own identity, but I was still really struggling with my mental health all throughout college. Um, and so I could kind of only make it so far. I could only get through the, the fall, but so far. Um, and actually at kind of like one of the lowest points is when our internship enters. Which and I have no idea when we first met, but a lot of people have told me that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in case you haven't gathered, Deb and I met at an internship in the summer of 2016. So we had different roles, but it was a smaller company. It was an open floor plan and I just took to Deb like a duck to water. (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, I don't even remember the first time we met, but to for the listeners, this internship program was very, very immersive. It's again, it was a smaller company, and this company was well known for their internship program. And so, you know, not only did we make such meaningful connections with each other, we made such meaningful connections from, you know, with the rest of our intern cohort, which was about another people, I would say. Um, Yeah. And we, you know, like at this point, we're like college kids. And so we would spend like literally all day together during the trip and then outside of work hours we would also spend all of the time together uh, yeah we would like go out together a lot of people were because it was a full-time internship so a lot of people had just moved to new york for the summer so they didn't know people in the city deb and i deb grew up there i was um going to school there so we kind of like knew a little bit we all just had a ball. Um, but so Deb was our HR intern. I think that's really the first moment we met was the first day because you were kind of helping. It was ironic. You were like doing the onboarding process, but also helping to like execute the onboarding process for the other interns. Oh my gosh, that's right. Because I was already there. I forgot. Oh Yeah. I had been interning already for this uh, for this company um, for about six months already um, and they had welcomed me back uh, to join the summer internship program and I had and I had definitely um, obviously agreed um, because I, I enjoyed my time and so I totally forgot I forgot that I was an intern but also helping with onboarding yeah. so really it was um, interception yeah I was wow I I totally forgot about that um but you know I think it was really really awesome for me in my end because I think that summer that we had met um I think I was really you know just coming from myself really becoming the person that I knew I could be. I never thought I could be the person to reel the group in or the person yeah. who would be, you know, even like quote unquote leading um, a group of people, no matter like what it may be in what context. But I think like, you know, it might have been because I was already there, but yeah. the fact that people started to depend on me for needs and for support that was really the moment where I was like, oh crap, I can be that person for somebody. Um, And so, you know, that for me, that internship really taught me that. Um, And, you know, it was obviously with the most incredible group of people, we are included. Um, But, but yeah, that, that, that summer was a blast. What about you speaking of It's funny to hear it from your perspective that like that was the first time you really realized because from my perspective, it was so natural. Like we were all just like, well, yeah, of course Deb knows what's going on. It just felt so natural for you to be Deb, like for you to just be the one that knew where everything was in the office, the one that made sure that everyone got home safe and the one that like knew what the plan was, like it just made so much sense. 
And so to hear, like, as if you were always that, like that. So to hear from your end that you were like, yeah, like this was, this was new territory. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, from my end, like my experience with the, with that internship, I mean, I had interned there once before, but the, in the semester before you had. Just when you think like, oh, that's story starts no it starts like so much like before that we bring a little bit more back um but yeah so I came back because I've been involved with the organization in high school and then I had interned and it had just all been really dope so decided to come back um their internships were paid which right I am I didn't do a single unpaid internship all of college because I just didn't I couldn't like I needed the experience but I needed money so there was no option um also PSA for people listening out there and employers listening out there pay your interns pay your interns yeah I mean honestly if they hadn't paid us that would have been wild because we were doing actual work real work I so I was on the business development team which like Deb you were like this is this is what I should really be doing let me delve into it I was like oh oh I need this to end (laughs) like I had a great time with the interns like the internship was dope I really liked my manager and I was good at what I was doing, but I was so drained. It made, I, I, it was me constantly every day stepping outside of my, my comfort zone continuously, which don't get me wrong, love stepping out of my comfort zone. That's where growth comes from. But when that's all you're doing, the moment you step in the office, the moment you leave, oh, I was... I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> um, but regardless, really thankful for that opportunity. I learned a lot from business development. I think that everyone can, I think that it has a huge amount of transferable skills, but more specifically like mindsets and like practices, I guess. But yeah, that was it from my end of the spectrum. And I just remember feeling such a kinship to you. We had known each other, what, a few months? And I was like, Deb, do you want to come to my 21st birthday party? It was incredible, by the way, which is unforgettable. That night, <laughs> don't be going into to in this podcast. Oh, no, no. But it was definitely a, a night to remember. But I think that just goes to show, like, you can build incredibly meaningful relationships at work. And yeah. About the culture that they build um, in a culture and in, in, in an organization, and so you know we won't be going into you know some of the obviously obstacles that we both ran into at that company, but what we can say is they provided a safe enough environment so that you know we could build relationships with each other and yeah. I will say that we did not feel like interns, quote unquote. We felt like part of the company, which, yeah. you know, I'm grateful for. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think for better or for worse. Like sometimes I'm like, should I have been doing that much? Should they have trusted me with that much stuff? Um, and now here we are four years later, still super close, which I guess kind of brings me to present day and like how this podcast happened, how we got here. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did want to, you know, talk and ask you about your journey since then, because as you mentioned, I kind of fell into HR, realized that I loved it, um, and kind of kind of decided for myself that that was the career path. And, you know, people operations was something that I wanted to do for my career. And, um, you know, four years later, I am still building my career in that, supporting, um, you know, people and having them, you know, have me as their source of support. And I think that's like the number root of why I went into HR in the first place. But, you know, you kind of navigated, you know, you know, other territories. And I would love to hear more about how you navigated those territories to ultimately figure out what you really want to do. Yeah, for sure. My, pretty much since I got to college, my life has just been me trying things and hoping that it'll work out until something sticks. Um, And coming into the workforce, like post-grad, was no different. I took a job at a startup because I really liked the culture, because I saw dogs during the interviewing process. <laughs> um, and because I felt like in that kind of small setting, I could still figure out what it was I wanted and do a job that I knew I could do and like wasn't going to be super high pressure again while I was figuring out other stuff. So I've been there for about a little over three years now. And I started doing client operations. I still do do that as well. But any downtime I had, any free time I had was just me trying to figure it out, was me following anything that interested me and going to my manager or going to like the HR, whatever it may be, and saying, hey, I see that you're working on this project and it really interests me. Could I help you with it? Or saying, hey, I noticed this gap or this place that I think could be improved upon. Can I can I do this project? Can I do this whatever? And my the answer I always got was, sure, like, as long as you're keeping up with your role like what you were hired for yeah sure and through that I got involved in interviewing I got involved in um what is the word I want training I got involved in like employee resources and I knew that that kind of realm I could feel it in my gut gut like that was what I wanted to transition towards. And and slowly that's, I was getting more responsibilities in that, but still didn't have 
like a title in mind. I didn't know what I was aiming for. I was kind of just trying to float in the right direction. So at the top of 2020, COVID obviously, COVID-id, and I had a lot of time to myself. And honestly, I had a lot of time to myself that I was kind of afraid of. I would try to distract myself because I knew I didn't have access to the coping mechanisms that I usually would and the the balance that I had figured out really worked for me. So I just tried to avoid everything that was difficult until it'll be a few weeks and COVID will be over. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on me. Um, So finally I had to start actually facing myself and stop distracting myself. And it was honestly the best thing I could have ever done. I, I, I think we both have been finding our voice over the past few years, but through 2020, I have found my voice and found confidence to a new level that I think I might not have expected to reach until I was like 30, if we're being honest. Um, but I was still doing my same base job and it was, it was clashing. I couldn't find, I was having a lot of trouble finding balance between having this new, clearer than ever before sense of who I was, who I am, and recognizing that I was in a position within my life that was not true to that, was not helping that grow, and was not taking advantage of the strengths of that person. And Deb knows this because Deb was on the receiving end of a lot of those calls. It it really caused, honestly, probably some damage um, to me trying to straddle those lines. Um, and all of these racial issues have been put in the spotlight again in 2020. And all of these companies, including my own, jumped on diversity and inclusion. I do honestly believe that my company started it because they realized that it was necessary and it was the right thing to do. But there's definitely companies that jumped on it just because that's how you keep making money. Anyway, so I started doing our DNI initiative. I have been doing training. I've been doing employee resources, as I mentioned, and it kind of, I had been looking for something else within the company to do anyway, and everyone knew that. And so it made sense, like, hey, here's another project for you to work on, essentially. And I fell in love from day one, fell in love from day one of with diversity and inclusion, finally felt like the decade of just doing the next step and just trying to listen to my gut and and take the next steps in, in the vaguely correct direction. had fin- I had finally figured out what I was floating towards and now I feel like I'm swimming purposefully towards these goals. Um, that, that is my journey of how I ended up where I am. That is my journey of how I found what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. And honestly, I think a lot of it stemmed from being forced to take this mindset of 
well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> took it with this podcast, took it with my merch project that I have going with another friend, took it with my poetry book, and I took it with DNI work. I was just like, you got to start somewhere. And if, if you can take that mindset, I highly suggest it to anyone. It has changed my life. Do I still struggle? Do I still have anxiety and depression? Do I still have bad days? Of course I do. But I now have bad days with something more concrete to hold on to and to focus on, on the other side of it. And I think that, you know, knowing and now you all as listeners know where Nyar is coming from, but, you know, to know of her experiences and to know, you know, what she cares about and, you know, how she has overcome so much. Going into DNI made so much sense. It wasn't like, oh, that's new. Or like, <laughs> it was, it made complete sense because who else, you know, I, I can't think of anyone else who can speak to the voices right now that are so misrepresented, especially in the workplace. Um, you know, not only Black voices, but, you know, voices who struggle with mental health, voices who struggle with their sexual identities. Like, these are voices that need representation in the workforce more than ever. And, you know, they need people who are absolutely willing to try and get the rest of the world to understand their shoes and who better than you, you know, especially since I know also your company and the, and the people and the demographic that make up your company. Um, so it, it makes a hundred percent sense and it's very clear like that your trajectory kind of pointed towards the path of DNI. Like people still like don't think that it's it's needed, you know, and it's absolutely needed. Um, I mean, ideally it's not needed. Ideally, HR is well-rounded enough that it encapsulates captures everything that I'm trying to do in DNI work. And you in HR, do you feel like your past positions in HR and your past companies were open to that fact and that idea of like HR needs to be for everyone? Yeah, so I think it's, it's incredibly difficult to be able to be inclusive because you know, in my previous positions, in my previous companies, you know, diversity and inclusion, you're absolutely right, has to, you know, has to be integrated into literally everything. So in employee relations, in feedback conversations, in manager conversations, in hiring processes, in onboarding processes, in the way that we celebrate wins and projects, and the way that we lead meetings, like, Every single aspect of work needs diversity and inclusion. And it's hard, especially when you do have leaders of HR or HR departments or people departments that are comprised mostly of white people. 
it's it's gonna be difficult to be able to come up with processes and initiatives and come and roll out things for the entire company when you can't be able to speak for all of the voices in the room in the first place. And so it's been interesting for me personally as as a person as a Asian woman of color in HR and in people operations um, to not only kind of make the case for diversity and inclusion, but also realize that it's really difficult. You know, yeah. you know, even personally myself, I do I absolutely want to think of diversity and inclusion every single day? Yes. But at the same time, do I want to be able to roll out initiatives to be able to support the company as a whole? Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, businesses at the end of the day need to run a business. And I can see why diversity and inclusion is not necessarily the number one priority. But I think we're working towards and our industry is working towards a mindset of absolutely it has to be priority. It has to be the number one thing that we think of, even if it's going to make us have setbacks and even if it's going to take twice as longer to roll out a certain initiative because we cannot move forward without making sure that every single voice is heard in the company. Um, yeah. And so it really is in partnership. You know, it's not just on HR, but it's in partnership with the entire company, especially the leader yeah. at a company. Um, they have to be committed. Um, and, you know, I think that it's especially important to, you know, if your company is large enough and has its resources, they should be hiring somebody just to focus on diversity and inclusion to partner with HR teams, to partner partner with talent acquisitions teams, to partner with leadership teams, to make sure that every single decision that is being made in the company, it's it's ha- it's you know it's having that lens in mind. You know, yeah. even with marketing teams and social teams, you know, the content that we come out with, you know, we don't want to be you know like look at Pepsi and you know that commercial that was so insensitive with Kylie Jenner. Yeah. No, a diversity and inclusion person should have stepped in and said something. And so I think it's it's a role that's needed in every single like organization, you know, no matter how big you are, um, because it is a job that is so emotionally, you know, charged. Yeah. One person just really needs to focus on it. You know, one person or like, you know, a couple people like a like a DNI committee. Um, yeah. I'm also a firm believer if you're going to be working on things outside of your normal role, you know, if your company can't provide a role just for DNI, like you should be compensated for taking on, you know, something as huge as DNI in your workplace. Right. I have a response to that. But if you're taking on extra responsibility at work, don't be afraid to uh, bring that to your manager or leadership's attention and ask for more money because you deserve it. He- um, just wanted to get that out there, but <laughs> on the DNI talk, I completely agree. I, in my mind, what I'm trying to do is get these DNI thought processes and processes to be ritualistic in my company. Like, I think that a lot of people, like you said, it can cause another setback, and so they don't want to do it, and then you just cyclically keep doing more of the same because that's easiest and it takes energy to stop something and redirect it but if you can do that and you can do that well eventually it's going to be 
the ritual of the company and eventually it's going to be as easy as it is now not to do it because it'll just be inherently there. I personally, for my own growth and to be able to do this to the best of my abilities, am trying to understand and learn about experiences that run the whole gamut. Because I think that at the end of the day, if you look at this, not as, oh, we have to make sure that we're saying the right thing or we're not offending anyone. If you look at it as a make sure we're not in like a place of fear, that makes it so strenuous. But if you look at it as a, we want to make sure that everyone in the company can understand different everyone else's experience or or at least attempt to and have these discussions and delve into our differences and be excited about them i think when you come at it from that perspective that's when it becomes an opportunity not a a, a burden Deb, i think everything in our lives and from you know our childhood till now I think it has it has brought us to us figuring out what we have found our value in and especially yeah. you know in our careers I think you know like especially you know people you know people who are obviously of Asian American background you know HR is not necessarily the first field they go into um, you know you have your doctors your lawyers your software engineers and I'm personally very proud that you know, because of my experiences, I have ultimately chosen a career that, you know, is meant for me, truly. And, and I think you can speak to the same. Yeah. Well, I agree that that is a lovely, lovely place to end. Um, so we have our Instagram, persisting underscore in underscore color. We have our email persisting in color at gmail.com and we come out every two weeks on on monday the day of month anyway um anything you want to add deb as always thank you for listening and we love your feedback as always yee feedback good weird anyway thanks bye till next time that was so cute (laughs) 